for the first time in Olympic history. The opening ceremony isn't going to be held in the traditional stadium. Instead, the usual procession of athletes will take place on the sand with a separate boat for each country's delegation. Women should have the audacity, the courage to speak up for themselves. Life is not about saying yes and amen to everything. And everyone should dare to dream. Welcome back to season three of Flame Bears, Keeping the Fire Burning. I'm your host, Jamie. Today, we're talking with 23-year-old Qatari track star, Kenza Suse, who's an outspoken advocate for the Arab women's movement. Too often, we only hear about the ups of athletes' lives. So today, Kenza shares how she spent years training for Tokyo, qualifying, and then watched from a room in Morocco after testing positive for COVID. So my name is Kenza Alawi. I am a Qatari national team athlete. I play track and field or athletics. My specialities are 400, 400 hurdles, and I'm also orienting myself into heptathlon. I was the first Qatari woman to ever participate in the World Championships in 2019. I am a national record holder on the 400, ex uh, (laughs) record holder on the 400 hurdles, and I'm working my way through the Olympics, hopefully. (laughs) You heard that right. She's still working her way to the Olympics. This season is about after the Games, but things went awry for Kenza. So after training for years and qualifying, she suddenly couldn't go to Tokyo. What happened? So that I give you a context, uh, for the 2021 Tokyo uh, event, Olympic ones, uh, I was supposed to participate. However, uh, because I study in Paris and because of the situation that we went through, which is COVID, I was not able to participate. I was put under so much charge because of my businesses, my schooling, my university and sports that when I came back to train, I was already exhausted. And when I thought I was finally ready, I was tested COVID positive and it was the end of uh, how, how would I say it, of a dream. I was so disappointed, so sad, because first of all, it was a big opportunity for me again to participate in the Olympics. And it was also an ability for me to meet new people from different horizons and to actually visit a country I've never been to uh, with a totally different uh, culture and be an ambassador of my country. Absolutely heartbreaking. How did you pick yourself back up? Honestly, as soon as I wasn't tested positive to COVID, (laughs) I went back to training harder than ever. (laughs) I've been working on different businesses related to sports as well, because for me, it's a passion. And to let go of the anger I had, or generally I have, I need to let it out on a project. (laughs) So I've kept on rising my ability to, not my ability, I've been raising my passion. I do think that until Paris, there aren't, uh, there isn't time anymore. So it's going to be very intense until the event. However, why am I lucky? 
it's because I have the opportunity to live in Paris and to really know the weather there, etc. So I won't have to make the movement and I'll be able to train there until the event and to yeah. see what it, how, will, how will it finish. I still uh, believe that hopefully I'll be ready for the Olympics in 2024 in Paris or for, for the next ones. You will be. Paris 2024 is breaking traditions and tearing down stadium walls. Yet to be announced where exactly the Olympic flame will be set alight. There's one obvious choice, and it's rather tall and pointy. Now, let's go back to the beginning. What got you into running in the first place? So both my parents are ex-athletes. I've been running since I was one. My dad is an endurance athlete and my mom is a sprinter. So for me, going to track and my first years was something very normal. By the way, my first steps were on uh, track. <laughs> I've always had this memory of me running and my parents running as well. What was your life like growing up in Qatar? I have a very diversified background. I've been to the French school in Qatar, in Doha, and that's the place where I actually learned to be who I really am. What can I say about it? I was like without siblings for a very long time until I was 10. I've created my own world, my own bubble of imagination. And I was a, a small introvert person. And at the same time, I was living a double life, double standard life where I was an athlete since I was very small. And at the same time at school, I was this little nerd who loved reading books, who loved listening to music, who loved art classes. And I had good grades in general. So I was very quiet, the, the model girl, we would say. And then there is this time in my life where I had this leap of faith and I started exerting a track and field at a higher level. Mm -hmm. And that's where my life has changed. <laughs> Someone who knows a lot about Kenza's early life is her best friend, Vanessa. My name is Vanessa Al-Jamal, and I've known Kenza since we were in school together. She's my best friend. We've been friends since we were nine. She is honestly the sweetest person I know. She has such a kind heart, which could be a fault sometimes. She's also uh, very ambitious and uh, very driven in everything she does, like whether it's a hobby or it's uh, her sports or her work, whatever she gets, her, she puts her mind to, she has to do it to like the full extent <laughs> before moving on to the next thing or pursuing it. So, you know, depends on what it is. Hmm. Do you happen to remember, I know this is probably really hard if you were nine, your first memory of Kenza? My first memory of Kenza? The first day I, I went to the school, she was the first person to approach me. I was a very shy kid. And <laughs> so she approached me and she was very outgoing, very nice and introduced me to a lot of people. Kenza, what does it mean to be a woman athlete in Qatar? In Qatar, I am very grateful. I'm very grateful I had the chance to be a Qatari athlete and not an athlete from another country. Why? because we're in an era where Qatar is developing its sports section. Doha became the capital of sports. They are investing millions of dollars into sports, not only for men, but also women. 
every woman is followed by phys a physiotherapist the coaches are very competent the infrastructure where we train is amazing i mean i'm very grateful i've had the chance to grow up with parents who were encouraging me to the sports because they were in sports as well and i've had the chance to have a country that was welcoming me with my skills considering them giving them like not taking them for granted but actually encouraging me hmm. and taking them into consideration and seeing my plus value and for me i've been through so many challenges when it came to to life sport etc and qatar has always always had my back and mm. for that i'm extremely grateful on instagram you wrote in 2019 you marked qatari history what happened and why is it important it was because I was the first Qatari woman to ever participate in the World Championships. I was there with the biggest stars, the ones that I would usually see on TV. And you have to know, by the way, that when I came into the stadium and that I was hearing all of the applauses coming from people from all around the world, I was so moved and touched that I just wanted to go back home. <laughs> I was not ready to run anymore. I was so amazed and so grateful for this opportunity that life gave me to mark history as a woman, an Arab one, and Muslim one as well. And for me, it was just one of the, let's say, the best moments I do think I will ever experience in my life. And even if one day I might have Alzheimer, I do not think I'll forget about 2019. <laughs> Kenza, I know you wanted to talk about the Arab women's movement. So for those of us who are not super familiar, what are you seeing on the ground? From my perspective, I do think that the starting point, especially with the World Cup, is a turning point for all the Arab countries. Because women and men are actually allying themselves and daring to dream. There are many women artists right now. Before, 10 years ago, there would be one, two, maximum three out there showcasing themselves. And now there are thousands. When it comes to any field, we have uh, police women who are with their hijab, with their veil. They chose it, by the way. And they're considered equally to men. I do think that the women empowerment movement is taking so much, how do we say it, so much power. <laughs> it's affirming itself. And it's being encouraged by men as well. One of the points of contention is, of course, the treatment of women in Islam, and particularly by these people misusing Islam, in your words. Do you consider yourself a feminist, Malala? Well, I fight for women's rights, and I believe that every woman has the right, um, everyone has equal rights as men have, because why should there be a difference? Um, because sometimes, um, People think that women's bodies are weaker and they do not have such big muscles as men have and they cannot run a family, they cannot run an office, and they are not as wise as men are, but we actually don't see the reality because in reality it is the woman who is controlling the whole house, who is taking care of the children, who is also cooking, never appreciated for that, who is cleaning the house, never appreciated for that. So I think we have the work that woman does, we think oh, it's, it's, it's her job and that's what she's supposed to do. While if men does a work in the home, we say, oh, men has done a great job. And so I think we have to change this idea that 
that women are not only uh, supposed to work in the house, is not only just cooking and cleaning the house, but she also has the ability to go outside and to, to do business, to be a doctor. This is something I would have never expected, honestly. And mm. seeing it happen actually is something I'm very proud of. Of course, we'll, we're still at baby steps. I'm not uh, selling you dreams because in other Arab countries, because of the lack of education, there are still some major issues, major problems to fix. But I do think that it's one step at a time and showcasing that an Arab country can make it through and can set an example for our other countries is the beginning of, uh, of everything. What does empowerment mean to you? Empowerment means that when we say no, it really means no. When we want to do something that is in a very different field, like sports or art, we should be encouraged for it. Women should have the audacity, the courage to speak up for themselves. Life is not about saying yes and amen to everything. And everyone should dare to dream. I know that every person, every woman out there has a dream. And unfortunately, she cuts her wings herself. So if we all start dreaming and they're dreaming, this is what empowerment is. It's mm. raising up in different specialities with different dreams and making one union with all of the women in the world and pursuing whatever we want. You mentioned offline that you support the decisions and freedom of women with or without their veils, as long as the decision is up to them. Can you say more on this? First of all, we're not all obliged to wear the scarf on our head. This is very important to know. <laughs> you are not forced. It's a choice. In each country, there are traditions. And it's a question of tradition. I do know that in Ireland, they have their traditional clothing. In Spain as well. In Qatar as well. And part of the culture and the traditional clothing is the scarf on the head. Why? Because Arab countries are generally made of nomads. We originally come from nomads. With the sand and everything, our traditional clothing was made of a headscarfing, despite religion. So it's really cultural. Many of us Arab women, when we are on a traditional festivity or something, we would wear the traditional dressing. But when we're running or when we're going outside of the country, we dress up as anyone and we are allowed to wear whatever we want. What are some misconceptions people have about being an Arab woman? This is one of the misconceptions. We're not all in the kitchen and taking care of the babies. <laughs> I promise. My babies are my businesses right now, my book and my sports. <laughs> so if this is babies, these are babies, then yes, I am a very typical Arab woman. So please do not uh, confuse that. Our dads never force us to do anything. For our dads, they're little princesses. If we ask for anything, they will give their lives to make it happen. Moms are more difficult than Arab dads, really. <laughs> Honestly, I do think that by making a globality or a generality, when it's stereotypical generality like these ones, when it comes to Arab women, is just a lack of understanding, of knowledge. And I do think that everyone can change it by visiting these countries, actually getting to know the people, seeing how nice they are, 
And of course, there is always the bad and the good in countries. For more context on this, here's Vanessa again with more. Qatar is honestly doing an amazing job at giving platforms for women, to be very honest. But it is, uh, it does give more opportunities for men, just like, honestly, the rest of the world. And being a woman athlete in Qatar, you get judged, honestly, also on like the way you dress, the way you behave in public, more harshly than men would. Also, I know that Kenza had a lot of things where people tried to spread rumors about her just because of jealousy, because they couldn't get into the team and she wasn't it. So she she did go through a lot where people tried to contact the, the national team directly to get her out of it. But they did an amazing job at believing their athletes and like being very protective over her. I know that they do an amazing job at protecting their team members and they they really did give Kenza a safe space. I sat down with someone else who knows Kenza really well. Hello, my name is Rita. I am 14 years old. I am a fencer and Kenza's younger sister. Rita, there are so many incredible athletes. Why is it important for people to hear Kenza's story? Kenza's story as an Arab woman athlete is important for many reasons. Firstly, her journey as a female athlete in a male-dominated sport is a testament to her strength, determination and resilience. She serves as an inspiration for other young women, particularly in the Arab world, to pursue their patience and dreams, regardless of societal norms and expectations. Additionally, Kenza's story helps to break down stereotypes and misconceptions about Arab women showcasing their capability and potentials to excel in any field they choose. By sharing her story, Kenza's promoting gender equality, empowerment, and encouraging a more exclusive society. Overall, Kenza's story is not only important for people to hear, but also essential in promoting a more diverse and inclusive world of sport. Kenza, what is the thing you are most proud of in your life? Honestly, the thing I am most proud of and that is really dear to my heart is the book I've written. It treats of women's condition in the Arab world. And for me, it was one of the topics I've always dreamt of changing things in. And I started doing it at a lower scale, which is by writing a book. And I'm trying at my humble scale right now to change and make changements in the Arab world, but also in the world, because it's not only about the Arab world. There are inequalities everywhere around the world. And personally, as an Arab woman, I've found it easier to start in my culture and with the people I know and to globalize it later on. For more on how Kenza makes her country proud, here's Vanessa again. Kenza is just a hard worker and it's not like she had a base where like she she had someone in like in her family help her get there or had someone from the outside help her get there she made herself and she okay her family was supportive and all her friends were supportive but it's her hard work that got her there and the fact that she's an arab woman also gives a platform for 
us Arab women, honestly, it makes us all proud to see her accomplish what she's accomplishing. It makes us all proud to associate ourselves with her. And not just me as her friend, but I think Arab women and Arabs in general, not just Qatari people or Moroccans. Like I'm Lebanese and I'm so proud of whatever like whatever women accomplishes whenever a woman accomplishes anything especially when it's like a minority and she's the first Qatari woman to get to the world cup in her field so it's amazing <laughs> to add to the list of reasons for pride kenza is also an author kenza tell us about your book that's so exciting my book is actually a book that regroups many stories i've heard about from different people growing up. To give you a context, until I was in my period, my Arab friends were living the same life as I was. We were all the same. Mm. We were living a normal life. There was nothing going on. But the marking point in our life was when we got our period. And that's where I started seeing differences. Some girls were not allowed to go out anymore. Some were, uh, were were a bit more uh, restricted when it came to clothing. I'm not talking about the general literacy, but I'm talking about my personal experience. I've started seeing that I was somehow lucky to have my parents. Meanwhile, it was mm. normality for me. And there are so many scenes that have marked me. And that's when I've promised myself that I was going to write a book. So I've created a personage, a person created Amal, which means hope in Arabic. And I've taken all of the different stories I've heard of and I've put them in this character so that any woman uh, of those that I've met or any woman, Arab woman or woman in general who meets any of the conditions that I'm talking about in the book can referentiate themselves feel the, the character and feel themselves in her and know that it's going to be okay afterwards because of course the the ending is happy i'm not going to spoil it <laughs> <laughs> there is always hope there is always a leap of faith and you just have to take the initiative to make it happen and mm. this is what I, it, this is what i've treated of i've also treated about education i've talked a lot about education because we can speak about feminism for hours We can speak about people being sexist for hours. The main issue, personally, I think, is education. Without education, you can't change sexism. And it all starts in education. Education is key. So you have a master's degree. You're a founder, an author, an advocate, obviously an incredible athlete. What are the identities that are most important to you? Identity that's the most important for me is that I am a world citizen i'm not arab i'm not french i'm not english i'm not american i'm just part of this world and i am human i do not care about me being a woman or being a businesswoman or being an athlete those are very nice huh <laughs> i'm not denigrating any of them but at the end of the day when i go back to sleep what makes me very happy is that as a human i've accomplished so much that day and this is very important for me because at the end of the day we're all only humans we don't care about our colors we don't care about our religions we don't care about our background so when you go back to sleep and you're like ah today was a good day that's what's important and this is why for me my most important identity is being human tell us about your companies 
I am a very diverse person. So I studied architecture and I still study architecture. And the questions of ecology are very important for me. The questions of well-being as well. Both my first businesses were founded during COVID. The first one was VEL, which in Africans means skin and uh, surgical face masks that are adapted to the color of the skin that I've created during COVID to help humanize the condition. Mm -hmm. And what was amazing about them is that they were surgical face masks and they were adapted to pregnant women, but also asthmatic for people like me. It was a very good, let's say, starting point for me because I've realized that in my life, what I'd like to do is that I would like to help people with all of the abilities and possibilities that I have. And uh, later on, I've created Boobal, which is a glamping complex. And this was during COVID as well, because during COVID with the, the quarantine, etc., we weren't allowed to go out anymore. And so I've realized that we were taking nature for granted. And for me, it was very important for me to create something that connects us with nature, to see how beautiful it is and what we're making of it, how we're abusing it. By creating a very Instagrammable concept that can connect you to nature and that is also very ecological, it was a very good um, starting point for me as well. And right now I'm working uh, um, on businesses that are related to sports and art and digital art because I've also focalized myself on um, artificial intelligence, augmented reality and virtual reality. And so I'm founding my, my uh, small businesses and you'll get the chance to see them once they're ready. <laughs> my babies are, are soon to be born. <laughs> we like to end all of our episodes with an ask to our listeners. So Kenza, what is the one action all of our listeners, our community can do after listening to your episode? After hearing my story, I do think that each of the listeners will be thinking of a passion they have, of something that they weren't able to achieve, or something that they are still thinking of achieving, or something they're still thinking of starting. My last message will be to start it. Do not be afraid of failure. Do not be afraid of where it's gonna lead. Just start it and then think of the consequences. I do not agree when our parents tell us we be careful, uh, there might be consequences, etc. Because consequences can be very positive and can bring you a lot. And if you don't try it, you'll never know how it would have been. So if you're starting, of, if you're thinking of starting a business, if you're thinking of reading a book, if you're thinking of telling your mom you love her, if you're thinking of divorcing someone, just do it. Honestly, just do it. No matter what you're thinking of, just take the initiative. Because if you take it once, you will dare to take it other times. Thanks for tuning into Flame Bears, keeping the fire burning. For more behind the scenes coverage, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn by searching for Flame Bears. Thank you to my amazing teammates, Marissa Potter and Lizzie Michael. Thank you to Dino Catano and Emma Minto for your ongoing support. We'll catch you on our next episode.